Okay, um, we're just starting this slight misunderstanding, disagreement. I don't know what it is, but Andrew says, and I don't, you don't want to make anyone mad. It's not the, is it, Labor Day isn't his favorite holiday. But it's, is it because no, of what it stands for or because there's... Oh, no, no. I, it's, um, I think there's other holidays. I need a list before I got, I'm getting called out here. A list of <laughs> like, I think there's other shut everything down worthy holidays that are not fully shut down for everyone. It's like, that's a bank holiday only. I'm like, well, that should be. So you're arguing for more days off generally. Right. Like, uh, MLK, that's like a mixed day. Like sometimes Uh it's like our banks closed, not closed. I don't know. Schools are still in sometimes that one should be, everything's done. I'll swap labor day for MLK. If we were to pick like, all right, there's eight holidays where everything's shut down. Christmas, July 4th, Memorial day whatever yeah. the other ones are thanksgiving i figured it was just because like mean. something nah. with the weather in florida wasn't working oh it's still hot and we just started school what like three weeks ago um so it's like a month into school so it's like do we need a holiday yet i don't know yeah How labor day is late it's supposed september to be the end of summer real i mean that's how some people think of it right like the pools close on labor day but here too it's still so hot yeah mm-hmm. i think so I, just... I we had um <laughs> We had a little typhoon here in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. Last night, I, I kind of felt like what you guys, you know, Julie lives in Louisiana. Yeah, she gets it all. You're in Florida. I pretend hurricanes where I'm at. But there's <laughs> this thing called a heat dome. How how is it that every like three years they come up with some new term? They, get, they got that the I've clicks. never heard before. The clicks, heat dome. I like it. I'm gonna Google that. But there's a heat dome over over heat the Midwest, dome. and at the edge of the heat dome, like you turn on the radar. And it was just this weird, it looked like just someone poured water out of a pitcher and it was just rolling straight from the corner of Michigan, straight down central hmm. Ohio. And it just kept coming and come. It was like six, seven hours of lightning, strong wind, and just a ton of rain. Oh, wild. Hmm. Like, do I have to move? Right. I mean, I, anyway, it was I see weird. the heat dome. I, I just Googled it. Yeah. Interesting. I'd be all about this. Hmm. And pumpkin spice lattes just came out today. It's related to the heat dome. We had this conversation no. on one episode. Yeah. Sometimes. And now there's a new pumpkin drink. Um, what is it? It's another cold drink, cold chai, something pumpkin. So now you have three pumpkin options at Starbucks. That's a lot. Yeah. I don't do the pumpkin, pumpkin drinks. That's a lot of like mm. pumpkin pie spice flavors all in one. This That's isn't the much. favorite section, but. Ever oh. since I got a spin coffee machine, I just don't, I do not desire Starbucks no. or like coffee out in the same way. Do you just, like iced coffees? I feel like you yeah. can't beat iced from Starbucks. Any, like I've, make, I've not I been mean, able to replicate do, it. You can do cold brew. You can do nitro drip, cold, whatever. Like it just says, put ice in your cup and it cleans oh. out the hot water, puts in cold water. Yeah. We're all going to close. Try it out. And Olivia said all... she's literally drinking the pumpkin chai right now. So she's oh, there you go, pumpkin on, chai on trend. <laughs> is it good? I feel like it would be because chai is kind of a. I like chai. Yeah, dirty chai, chai. If y'all have had that chai with mm-hmm. espresso I in like it, chai. it's amazing. We hear yeah. it's amazing. Like the Wizard of Oz back there helping. Still <laughs> not my favorite from my time in Nepal is milk coffee, which is I think goat milk, oh, okay. no water. And instant, uh, like instant crystals. <laughs> Weird. Sounds like a okay. TikTok trend there. 
not man. the best milk coffee uh, experience in my life. All right, let's get started. <laughs> Here's the goat. Yeah. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 300. I'm Ooh. Kevin Oakley, and with me today is Andrew Peak and Julie Jarnigan. Man, Hello. 300. Who knew we'd be doing this 300 episodes later? That's impressive. Wow. That's crazy. That's exciting. Y'all I, have I, say, out of I vote today. we make this our last one. Let's just end it right <laughs> I'm now. Fine. I'm fine with that. Let's Grand go. finale. 301 beats something new. That's too much pressure proof. to make it really good, though. So, oh, you know what we should do? Because this is what, this is what it cracks me up when people do like, um, season six episode one it's like just start like i don't know why there's so much conscious thought put into that but we should just how about season two begins with <laughs> season episode two. one we'll start there we go. Season, season two, two. episode one let's just start over because it's <laughs> going to get obnoxious it. when we get to you know we got to figure out something else olivia because when we get to episode 1200 it's just it's too many things to say yeah we could have different uh episode 1234 <laughs> like, imagine it's now 2028 20, right oh gosh that's a long time <laughs> oh man so um the other thing that we're just going to keep talking about her like she's here with us uh yeah. our producer olivia is like you know we really do need to do uh live episodes of the podcast so okay. i think we decide on once a quarter she's checking the calendar but we will you'll hear about it that way you can all join in ask your questions but um That'll be fun. Fun time. Yeah. Maybe we can even pull people in for live Q&A or ooh, live story time. We'd have to oh, have like the, the high voice, contrast the Is there a filter in Zoom that just makes you look like you know, the person in hiding and like a built in <laughs> voice changer. I have Mommy a story does. time about this traffic that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Story I'm time. Good for that. Speaking story of. Story time. What's up first? I got one. I didn't write it down. Yeah. But I got one. Yeah, we had the Academy last week. So that was that was amazing. Um, taking through, geez, 11, 12 people um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. What's that, like 12 hours of instruction? It wears me out. Like, oh my. And I'm <laughs> I'm doing half of it with Sarah. And what's, what's fun is over time, this is like inside knowledge. Over time, it's like, okay, you take this segment, I'm going to take a break for a little bit. Like, I just can't like look at, look at Zoom. Nice and pleasant for this long. I need I need to go camera off for like for a little bit, get a little snack, refill my coffee, whatnot. Yeah. But you know, each one it just changes and changes. And we Sarah and I meet afterwards every single time. Like, what can we do better? What can we do better? And every single time I'm just like, man, I want another day. Which mm -hmm. is like torture for everybody. Like, uh, it's already four days, Andrew. <laughs> what is wrong with you? But there's just so much. You could just keep going and going. I wish there was some way. This I'm just really open talking right now. We teach the definitions, we teach knowledge, the foundational things, all these things are super important. Then you get to analysis. And that is the most difficult part for everybody. And teaching, I don't, there's, we could teach it, but it's just so much just like experience. You just need the reps, you need the reps, you need the reps, or what's Malcolm Gladwell, um, 10,000 hours. You need yeah. your 1,000 hours in, in analysis. Then you need your next 1,000. Then you need your next 1,000. By the time you get to 10, you're like, oh, okay. This is yeah. fairly comfortable. But just getting over the hurdle, even to yeah. like 
you've spent 200 hours in analytics trying to solve a problem, not just like poking around in there. I wish there was a way to expedite that for people, but that there's just, there's not. No, and, there's not. and I don't think you want one. I mean, we've had lots of folks that are good intentioned and they're like, Kevin, we should just take this whole market proof algorithm and just have it spit out the answer. Like an app. Or give us, you know, even internally we had a conversation where some people here were like, we just want a number to tell people for this thing of like, this is the goal. And I was like, I mean, it doesn't really, I, I, I know this is a well overplayed expression, which I think that remind me, Olivia, next time I'm, I'm on the podcast, I want to have a whole section about things we never need to say again in our industry. That that's just I'm I keep hearing the same like those were analogies and examples used 12 years ago. Are we still talking about this same thing? Um, but I want to know the you worst know, stop one playing checkers later. and play chess. You do not want to if you are a great chess player. You there should be no reason that you want to dumb down the rules of the game to get back to checkers. Right when you are a grandmaster at chess. Now you do have to be able to, and, and if you're a true grandmaster, you should be able to teach someone the basic rules and fundamentals of chess without losing your mind screaming or pouting like a child. Okay. So that's, that's, that's I think good. part of it that's too. Good. That's fair. But holy cow, what is this drive to get everything so overly simplified? So I'm using the chess analogy because uh, I think this is what, I mean, I, I'm on chess.com. If you want to sign up and play me, uh, I'll do it, but just know that I'm in the middle of probably parenting one of my four children and I will mess up. Uh, <laughs> so I know I'm not a great chess player yet, um, but thinking moves ahead, right? The more moves you can think ahead, the better. And how I view the analysis problem is that people look at it and go, I just want the answer. And again, there's all sorts of reasons why that's like the final move. I want the final move. I don't care how we get there. But I think they do sometimes, and this is on, on me and, and all of us to do a better job teaching and training. They look at what someone who's thinking eight moves ahead and by, I don't mean moves, I mean layers Okay. Uh, to, to go away from the analogy of chess back to the actual thing we're doing here of there's the data. And that in itself, let's just say, encompasses three or four layers of analysis, potential analysis. And there's always more than one potential. There's one potential. There's at least one true problem or issue. And each of those has no more than three possible reasons why. There could be more than one true issue. And then that, that you know, extrapolates. But even beyond that, then you have to start talking, thinking about like, okay, well then let's layer over our company culture. And then let's lay over how this sales manager thinks or how that salesperson acts or the usage or non-usage of the CRM or the market and the competition and, 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 and certainly the more layers you have to your point innately almost of it just requires repetition and experience. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you just find yourself going through layers one through four and you're like, I got the answer, I'm done. And then I'm almost, I'm almost done with this diatribe. You go and present, let's say you feel really confident that yeah. you analyze those three or four layers well, and you go into a meeting and you go up to your boss or the sales manager and you're like, here's what, I, and then they hit you with the one thing you didn't think of. And you're like, oh, and the, you know, the Jenga pile just crumbles. Yeah, I, think I, I think there's just that aspect of and that's why we always talk about 
use humility with this stuff. It is not the data says X, therefore it must be X. It's, hey, this is what it looks like, but is there something we're missing here? Is, is there something that we don't know that's going on with this person personally? Or um, is there something with the land deal that requires us to be acting in this way because we have to perform in a certain, you know, anyway, I just, I love the fact that you brought that up. I think it's a whole other. Yeah, exactly. What was fun was. It's almost um, like you should talk about that at, at the, summit. the summit. Well, summit I like food. Summit. So let's talk about food. Beth, so one thing we did different with this academy is usually it is Sarah and I, 95% of it. And then I add to Kevin's calendar like six hours before it starts. Like, hey, Kevin, I want you to talk about this. Then Kevin hops <laughs> on and, and does some inspirational talking like, hey, what's the role of marketing? Like, no, no, no. And no, what's fun is no one gets that answer correct at the beginning. It's day one. Not unless they've heard it before. That is true. Unless they've heard it before. The right. second day, I'm like, oh, let's have a coach on. Julie, you're our next victim in, yeah, in November, by know. the way. Um, here's some notice. Beth hopped on and she she did a very similar analogy, Kevin, where she talked about onions. And so like if you're day one, or we had some people, there's they're like month three on the job. They can only go to the first layer in the onion. Meanwhile, we're over here kind of talking and just like visualizing and thinking like, we know there's like 12 layers to this thing. We also know there's old onions we need to think about and there's future onions. We're like all over, <laughs> excuse me, all over the place with it. So the onion analogy, I'm like, oh, that's good. There might be tears too, as you learn more and more <laughs> onions. You're, you're going to fail. There's be like, oh, I'm embarrassed. I didn't know that. Or like, I feel like an idiot. But over time, like you yeah, didn't realize man, like, there's just a, more I'm and such more. such a nerd. And then uh, we just had a special guest pop on, which uh, this is yeah, exciting. Surprise party. Well, you, yeah, and you never need an invitation. Don't don't give away who yet. Um, but as a kid, I, I remember watching Lawrence of Arabia, which is a, a way too long movie in an old theater. My parents made me go. I think I was seven. The only scene from that, and I think it's three and a half hours long and has two different intermissions or whatever. Um, wow. There's one scene where Lawrence of Arabia puts out a candle with his fingertips. And the guy looks at him and says, holy cow what's the trick to doing that because it because it, it looks like there's a trick because it doesn't cause him any pain he doesn't lick his fingers he just pushes it and he goes the trick is making it look like it doesn't hurt <laughs> and i i just think like that's we've talked about this in many different ways the confidence aspect in fact what, what do we say on a call there it's either it's either lack of confidence or lack of competence so some good alliteration there like but that. it goes back to repetition 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 Hey, Ke Carla. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, Carla. Hey, I'm crashing. How are you doing? Good. What are y'all doing? Oh, we're just uh, recording a podcast. And uh, Carla is our creative director at Do You Convert? For those of you who may be under a rock, she's taking names and changing lives uh, all over the industry. What's what's the what's going on right now, Carla? What's what are you what are you doing? What's keeping you busy oh. these days? Um, I'm busy all the time. I feel like the last time I was on here was back in January. So I decided to crash your party. It's been a while. Say, it has been a while, but I do slack y'all while you're always recording. You're like, can't talk. I'm recording. I'm like, okay, well, um, I don't know. It's funny <laughs> how there's always like these weird trends at the beginning of the year. It was very heavy. Like let's everyone wanted to redo their collateral and refresh it. And then we went into like, a signage program phase. Yeah, I was going to say signage would be my guess on the next one. And by the way, isn't it interesting that if you heard someone talk about like hearing these trends like we do on, on 
this podcast, you'd be like, does that really happen? Or, mm-hmm. and, and then you go do it yourself and you're like, there's something in the water or the air, or like there's this behind the scenes network of let's all talk about signage. It just, yeah. it, it comes in waves for sure. It's really weird. And then the other last month I had a bunch of, you know, probably like five different calls, different builders around the country. And they're all talking about like their sales office. And I'm like, what is going on? How is everyone hmm. wanting to now look into like their interior signage? It's just bizarre. And then I was in booklet, book, booklet land for a while. Like making Wait, like real paper things. Print. I've done so what? many print booklets that took up my time for the, like, I don't what's know. The the mean, like checks notes or checks calendar. What year do we live in? But you know, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. I didn't expect it. Hmm. Like collateral you expect, but like long booklets, 20 pages. Yeah, Cause you could or yeah. could not print the collateral. It's like how it's displayed. Yeah. Could come off, you know, printed. Yeah. They want like hard copies. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. That doesn't sound cheap. It doesn't. <laughs> that sounds expensive. No, it's Brittany, not cheap. But I am miserable. not buying the booklets. <laughs> yeah, that would be pricey. Is yeah. there is there something that you've been doing this now, like you said, for um, a little while? I mean, you've been doing it a long time, but doing it with with us. Is there? A, we were just talking about like. Um, the, the trend of analysis being hard outside of what people are actually asking you to do. Is there something that you find yourself having to explain or re-explain or yeah. re-explain again as a concept that you just want to kind of toss out here? Probably you have to think about, here's one, I'll talk about it because it's about collateral. And so usually when we start with that, I'm kind of like, give me everything that you have because you probably haven't touched it. And what typically happens, it comes off as a these ideas pop from sales or marketing and they get tagged onto the collateral package as these one-off pieces. So I'm like, hey, let's go ahead and take a look at it. This is your 10,000 foot view. And more often than not, they have a billion pieces that's evergreen material. And I'm like, why don't you think about making this a better experience instead of someone having a bunch of one-pagers? So I would always say, Take a step back, think about the experience, what you're giving these people. Are you burying them in tons of copy and things they may not want to read? And is there a better way to display that? Should we make it into a book? Should we, this, is this even important? Do you want to cut some of this out? That's typically what we're talking about when we talk about like looking at all of their stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very easy, I think, for people to just oh, this is a good idea. Let me just add it on a piece of paper on a Word document. And they always don't think about how it looks or how it's perceived or how much stuff people are gathering. Yeah. A a quick, quick poll on material or files generally. I'm not going to answer until the end because, but don't you think that, or do you, uh, uh, I already led the witness, sorry. (laughs) Shouldn't every document that could be potentially sent or accessed or shared have some general repository that is accessible like like novi home didn't start out doing this but they found that people were like i have all these documents that i send people maybe post-purchase or pre-purchase and there's no place on their website that just housed everything even like you think about hoa docs like why is that hard to find Mm. or non-existent on a builder site 
That would be any, nice any to have a resource yeah. library. That'd be, that'd be great. Especially HOA stuff is interesting. I mean, at least our experiences, we changed HOA management companies like four times before it was like our control, but it was like with, it was still with the builder. So we're like, who's the yeah. charge here? Who's in charge? And as homeowners, you, you blame, I mean, everything is always the builder's fault. Like always, that's just the way it is. Even <laughs> though it's the HOA management company's fault, but guess who chose that terrible company, the builder. And so everything is ultimately yeah. the builder. So just now, make it easy to be clear. For I'm not buyer. saying, I'm not suggesting it should be like front and center underneath oh, the no. hero image or whatever for us. We just had a HOA section. So we had a, we had a document library or a overall, I think we just called it media library and it had like any photo you might see on a community page would also be accessible in this Keystone homes ish for those of you who've seen it. Like it's like all of our pictures are here searchable by everything, but also they're on the individual pages that are relevant to them. Same with videos and documents. And so we didn't even have a link on the community page to the HOA docs because that might be distracting or confusing. Yeah. But certainly anytime someone would ask, can I get a copy of my HOA docs that then the online salesperson or salesperson would then train the customer. Actually, there's this library over here and you can access anything that we have or need, you need to get to. And it's grouped and searchable and all the rest. Anyway, it just, when you were talking about like how, separated each piece kind of is instead of thought of in a cohesive manner manner yeah. that's what it made me think about the only thing i would say that i've experienced with something like that when it, well it just comes up in collateral information in general is that i think some teams can be lazy because someone has to keep up with the information being up to date and so if you take the time to like make sure you have a good organization in place like a good file good filing and like you know what's more up to date. Every, you have good nomenclature. You make sure everything is what it's supposed to say. Then I think it's definitely doable. But I think people just, some teams just, you know, maybe not able to. Yeah. It's a big thing to kind of. We got that pushback all the time at Heartland. And that was my, that was my reason for wanting it to be out there in the wild is I just found that if it wasn't accessible by the customer, things never got updated or there were four copies sure. going around, but once there was like, no, no, you, you know, some, yeah, maybe someone has a document that's out of date. You have to make sure everything's dated and, and like last updated X in the corner. But it was like, yeah, that document's incorrect, but I'd rather we know that and then we fix it versus having no visibility or people handing out something that's five years old that has four updates and they still have copies somewhere else saved locally. It was just like, nope. The, the truth is there for the customer. So that's the impetus to always make sure it's, it's correct. Just like pricing. Yeah. It doesn't create yeah. a problem. It just exposes what was already there. Shines the light on it. Yeah. Right. Yep. Cool. Well, Carla, thanks for hopping on. Yeah. Come by anytime. I love, I love just the, I mean, yeah, it's like you work here. It is like I work. I came it out of like my little creative cave. And crash y'all with your plan. <laughs> next time, bring some. Next time, since this is now a video show as well, uh, next time I want you to bring some like show and tell. Oh, just something. Yeah. There you go. By the way, if you don't follow <laughs> Carl on Instagram, you should because that's when you get some additional exposure to like show and tell. Oh yes, I'm very um, quiet about it. Anyway, y'all have a good afternoon. Bye. This is episode 300. You made it. Yeah. 300. 300. You're on like the, the biggest yeah, episode zero, zero. yet. Yeah. Ever. 
That's the best. All right. Y'all have a good one. This is Sparta. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Julie, story time. So I am uh, watching my mom shop for a car and it has been very entertaining. And the last thing I heard her say um, was that she was annoyed because she wanted somebody to beg her to buy a car and they were not begging her. So what happened is she had reached out to somebody uh, about a car. Then they had never emailed or called her back. And I know we always feel or hear people saying, oh, I don't want to bug people. Well, she's annoyed because she wants to feel like they're begging her <laughs> to buy a car. And then the other thing that's been funny is she's gone out to a few lots. And of course, there's not a lot of cars, you know, still there's issues with like actually having um, cars there. And she's not being super picky. She kind of knows what she wants. She wants three rows and she wants a new car and there's only a brand or two that she doesn't like, but she's mm -hmm. pretty open. But I think Kevin and I have had multiple conversations in the last week or two about the messaging of like, we have homes because there are people who are moving that need a home. Um, and we have finished inventory and those people need to know we have finished inventory. So I was thinking it's the same thing with her. If there was a um, car dealership out there, you know, that would tell her we have this many cars that you can choose from right now. We have this many SUVs or three, whatever it is. Um, yep. That's the messaging she needs. And she also needs the messaging of like, we want you here. Like she feels like people aren't um, trying to get her to come out, not calling her back. So it's yep. just been a fun process to watch um, with, with what we do. It's really interesting because my wife's birthday was on Tuesday and she likes Cheesecake Factory because there's all kinds of options and we we're going to have my parents come as well. So there's a table of eight. And at least here, Cheesecake Factory is still cool in central Ohio. So most of the time you've got a long wait. And it, I think you're talking about cars, which typically is a reference point of like, why can't home builders do things like car dealers do? Um, well, historically, yeah. like be more responsive, be more. But now they're changing. <laughs> and my point is, whether it's Cheesecake Factory or Toyota, as a consumer, you are trained by all of your interactions with all the companies you do, what to expect or to assume. And so it's it's interesting how that dynamic does shift because typically it's like, like my kids are like, we don't wanna to go to Cheesecake Factory, we're gonna to have to wait for two hours, and then it's gonna take forever to cook because there's so many different options on the menu. Uh, but Melanie really wants to go there. So we pull it up and on the front page, it's like, uh, make a reservation. Like we've never been able to make a reservation at Cheesecake Factory ever. Hmm. And then it says only up to table, a uh, party of six. And I'm like, oh, see, they got us because we need eight. Damn. But then there's, there, like you could tell that it had been designed to say parties of six and under, but then someone had just added a line of text that said, but, if you have a bigger party and it's on a non-busy day or time, we'll try to work with you. And it's yeah. like, why did that have to be there? It's because the dynamics have shifted. And so there was this point in time where we stopped eating out altogether because it was just always a pain, always busy, always short-staffed. Mm -hmm. And now they're like, oh yeah, no problem. Come on in at 5.30, 6 o'clock on a Tuesday night. With eight. Table of eight reserved. <laughs> Done. And so it's that training. And that that's why we've had these conversations, Julie, of... You know that concern about having like six homes available in a community and that looking bad or desperate that that might not be true anymore we don't know someone might look at that six available 
in a single community and be like, oh, thank God I can actually maybe get one of them. Because mm-hmm. the used home yeah. market is still so difficult in most parts of the country. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting, Julie, is that sounds like the most amazing car shopping experience ever. Them not hounding you. Like, so that'd be a dream for me. And you want to be like, mom, you're not trying to date this person. Like what? Just buy, (laughs) you'd want that car right there. But if they don't call you, you're not going to buy it. Like, I don't, she's being like that. You're you're saying beg in quotes. Like my dad had the same experience. He just shopped (laughs) for a car. He would go to a Lexus dealership and they'd be like, oh, we don't, you know, you couldn't even talk to a salesperson. You had to talk to the receptionist because they didn't want you to feel like you were busy. And then the guy would show up and he's like, oh, sorry, I can't get any of the keys to test drive anything. It's locked in a safe. Can you come back some other day? And then never call. He's like, here's my card. You follow up with me when you want to come back out. Like it's, it's this complete lack of any customer experience. Yeah. And she's like, it's one of those experiences where it's like, I want to give you money. Like, I have money to okay. give you to buy a car and nobody acts like they want to help me with this, <laughs> you know? So I think it's just mm-hmm. frustrating for her that nobody that is taking weird. her. And so if she comes out and she's like, this is what I'm looking for. And they're just like, no, you know, I think it's just, she doesn't feel like anybody is there to to help her through the process. And she's getting um, frustrated with it. Makes you want to go Tesla and just like next, 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 next $500 <laughs> deposit. It shows up in a month. Right. Yeah. No people. Till- well, that is an argument for really good self-service, but it always comes back to the complexity of the purchase, the fear of making a wrong decision, uh, and the number of options that home builders have makes self-service, generally speaking, not the same experience. And I always go back to like, yeah. there's so many different apps that say design your own home with this fun, you know, architectural app and it's easy as one, two, three. And you look at the, and then you try to like design anything and it just keeps saying error, error. Like, why can't I put that window there? I don't know. It just won't let me. It's just not as intuitive still as it needs to be. Especially for her. This would not work for her. She's over 70. I know some people over 70 would love it, but not her specifically. (laughs) No. Yeah. I wouldn't love it. Um, My story time is just about the first part anyway, is how difficult it is to create something. Um, Andrew and I were talking about this too, because, you know, he's creating new content. He and Sarah are constantly making new content for the Market Proof Academy. And I was asked by an AHB to do a webinar and um, around a topic that I wrote for Builder Magazine about, so I like, I have the content. I know, like it's my own story in a way of my experience with Heartland of navigating a downturn market and what we did and, how he did, I wrote this 1100 word article already. And yet to sit down and craft from a blank set of PowerPoint slides, which I don't even love really using slides in the same way as most people anyway, but it was just, I had this experience when I was done with it of, am I getting like, I'm not too old for this. I'm not giving up. It's just, but there was this like for 10 minutes afterwards, I was just so mentally exhausted from putting in the effort of building what ended up being like a a 38 page presentation from nothing that I was just like, I'm too old for this. Like (laughs) this is a young person's game making content. And this is just hard. Um, And that's, that's, I think why people love the idea of AI help and prompting and and the rest. But anyway, just shout out to anyone who ever makes anything. Julie just wrote a book, but like 
creating something, especially when it's a combination of factual data and opinion and storytelling and, 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 whew, that's just tough. It's, it's really, really tough. Now the payoff was, was awesome because we ended up having, uh, I think over 450 people ended up registering, put a link in the show notes. Cause they said that as soon as it's posted on their website, we'll be able to put a link in for people to watch the replay as well. A lot of good questions, really good interaction. It was a good time, but man is, but then there's the podcast, which is the opposite. And it's like, this is the easiest thing ever. I look at the show notes 10 minutes before we hit record just half the time we're swapping out articles last second or you know it this is so effortless uh for me anyway but creating that type of content is is really hard and so you you put your ten thousand hours in on the podcast as part of it you're comfortable you had enough reps of that also i think the hard thing is is that good content looks effortless so we're watching other people's content and we're like, man, yeah. why is that? Why does mine not look like that? Why does mine feel so hard? And then what you don't know is that just because it looked easy doesn't mean it was easy. So almost my story time. So I'm going to do a story time part two. So okay. I'm a purple belt in jujitsu. So I'm usually one of the higher belts, if not the highest in the morning class that I go to. And there's a lot of white belt women there. For those who don't know, that means mm. you can probably kick anyone's butt at the summit, right? <laughs> well, no, let's have that out there. But so the professor, the coach there, the, sorry, this is making our story time really long. No, this is good. The coach there some no. mornings will say, okay, higher belts, you have to let the lower belt start wherever they want. So these white belt girls who are younger than me, probably stronger than me can say, okay, I would like to start on your back with like about ready to choke you. Or I would like to start like on top of you. And so then I have to work on my escapes and they get a chance to like work on submissions and things. And so then when I get out, they're like, man, that was so easy for you to get out. And I want to say, shut your mouth. It was not easy. It was terrible. <laughs> like I was fighting for my life. That's awesome. Like you think yeah. that it looked easy, but it was terrible for me. Like I hated yeah. it, you know? So I think yeah. sometimes we look at people's content that's good and we're like, oh, but that's so easy for them. They just created that mm -hmm. and it looked great. But you don't know that they're kind of fighting for their lives or have done that many reps or working so hard to make it look that easy. So I think the same to you. People probably saw your presentation, thought, oh, well, this is easy for him but they don't know what it took behind the scenes to make it look effortless. Right. And, and I, I think if you're a good presenter in any medium, you always are thinking about the audience experience and how they're absorbing it. And a podcast, I just feel like there's, I mean, hopefully you're, you know, mowing the lawn, taking a walk, cooking dinner. Like this is a great medium to do something else at the same time. So it's like this and, and, and it's length and consistency mean that again, if you're sitting down on your couch with your popcorn and watching, every episode, no, please, don't. please tell me if you are, because I want to get you something special. Okay. Uh, I'll like buy you popcorn for a year or something if, if that's actually what's happening. But there just seems like less pressure versus a, a straightforward. And the same thing happens with the summit content. It, it is like you have to put time aside and it's not for me anyway, it's not repetition or practice of the content. It's the constant someone sitting in a seat that may or may not be comfortable after sitting in it for four hours. And I want to make sure that the visual payoff as much as possible of what I'm talking about 
connects or translates or adds something extra and isn't just like, eh. anyway, I just, yeah, it's hard. Con I think content is hard and you're right. Thousand out the 10,000. I mean, shoot, I should do the math, but if you average six to seven hours a day talking to people times almost 10 years now, I guess talking is not the hard part for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> All oh, right, on to the news. Uh, and we will try to keep this tight so the episode doesn't go forever. Um, marketwatch.com, mortgage rates could hit 8%, economists say, citing a worrying sign not seen since the Great Recession. The 30-year rate is at a critical stage, Lawrence Yoon, chief economist at the National Association of Realtors, told MarketWatch. Um, this is confusing to a lot of people. I feel like we've talked about it a couple of times, but just for clarity, the Federal Reserve changes short-term rates. The rest of the bond market uh, and, and treasury market adjusts based upon supply and demand for different lengths of maturities. The most important one for mortgages is the 10-year treasury note. So that has its own pricing that is not directly uh, impacted by the Fed, there's a there's a correlation, but it's not directly affected. And then there is a risk premium that people who give money for mortgages want. So the 10 year is considered a very safe investment. Unless the US government ceases to exist, they pay their debt by making more money, which is a whole other show slash topic out of thin air. But you're going to get your money from that 10 year treasury bond. So if people are default on a mortgage, there's a risk that that could occur, especially when the market in the future doesn't look as rosy. And so the the delta between the 10-year and what mortgage rates are at is known as a risk premium. That risk premium and the 10-year are both expanding. And that's why even though rates haven't changed very much, they're still headed up and may go headed higher. So in some sense, before we get into really the, the full article, it's, it's kind of a, I would say it is really smart people who have a lot of money at risk saying, I think in the near term, it, there is maybe a slightly higher likelihood of people being foreclosed on or loans not being paid back. And so I want more profit basically from the loan to cover potential losses. So that's that's why that that spread is so important to watch and understand. Anything else in this article that, that you all wanted um, to- I, I thought it was interesting that they were talking about, don't expect the higher rates to hurt home prices. So some people may think, oh, because rates are going up and less people are going, then your home prices are gonna go down. They said that the that will only happen if the job market, if people are losing their jobs, and then that would be when that would happen. So I thought that was right. an interesting point. Yeah, it's still interesting. I'm in you know different local Facebook groups, and there's still this weird, like, thought that like everything is going to crash, and people are waiting to buy for this inevitable crash. I'm like, you people <laughs> want? Why would you want that? Like, that's so psychotic. Like, what? I want the world to like. They want like a recession, great recession. I'm like, what is wrong with you? First of all, but like, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah, well, because it's only going to affect everyone else. They'll be unaffected. They'll be unaffected. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll still have their job perfect, and there won't be any change. They could just scoop up a house, half the price what it is now. But so that's just it's interesting that I I don't know if that's a common thought, but it definitely seems a somewhat common thinking. Mm -hmm. But just looking at this one part here, where it's like he noted that monthly mortgage payment for a median priced home in 2019 was 1100. Today, at eight percent, that payment would be over 2300. 
Um, so that's and just that does not include taxes and interest, I believe. But then you need to go like, well, those people who didn't buy at either time, what is their rent? Right? It could be 2,800. 23 is better than 28. So I'm saying that like this seems very doom and gloom, but like knowing people in our lives that are younger, I'm like, oh, you bought a new house? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, can I have some details? You know, like I do stuff like, and every single person went down at least two to $300 renting to now owning a home. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Now they're fortunate, like yeah. their career wise, they both had higher income, they established jobs. So they're both like, say, mid 100s combined income. Not not each, but like both. So they were able to save up some money. And then both, for our area, both had down payment assistance from, from the county, yeah. which is even more interesting. Uh, but prices were both mid 400s for their homes. Beth Russell was sharing screenshots of articles talking about how housing has just com become completely, like it's, um, I forget the exact headline, something about no one can afford to buy anymore. And what's interesting, I, I just replied back quickly, like that also means that people can't afford to sell. And so that, you know, if rates continue to go higher, I think there will be fewer sellers until to Yoon's point, people have job losses. But until that point, just means there's going to be fewer existing homes on the market and builders are always going to have something for sale. Say, so we're, we're seeing houses be perfect. Yeah. yeah. Builders, there's the supply. All right. Up next, this is a, I really want to talk about this one. Uh, even if it's the last one we do, I don't care. From geekestate.com. Don't discount the merits of a friction full transaction. This is written by Drew Myers. Uh, guy I've got to know over the last year and a half or so, really good guy. Friction is good, not bad, at least in the residential real estate context. And he goes on to, to cite all of these different tools, services, platforms that want to make moving it at the push of a button easy. And then he's like, should it be easy? You know, are you going to make a great decision if purchasing a home is as easy as uh, you know, ordering light bulbs off Amazon. Should it, should it, should it, something that impacts your life so, so severely, is there real benefit to having that be frictionless? That's a good point. I don't think frictionless should be the goal. I think figuring out where the friction should be and where the friction should be in places where we strategically want to slow the process down. So there should be parts of the process that we want to go quickly and easily and parts where we want that friction because we need people to slow down and not just to make the right decision, but you also can't build a relationship with somebody, which sometimes you need to know because, you know, if you want to do more personalization or you want to listen or you want to find out what they want, you're going to have to slow that part down or it's not going to happen. So I think it's just being more strategic about where it needs to go fast and where it needs to go slow and leave the friction in those places we need to slow it down. Right. I think his argument here is, is somewhat moral. You know, he goes into uh, credit cards are easy and, and there's lots of studies that show if you pay in cash versus a credit card, you're going to, you're going to be making smarter financial choices overall. And so he's like over half a century of cognitive science and studies have shown that people who do multitask or move quickly. Um, and so then he's like, AI promises buyer solutions to both with one seamless experience of here's the house for you. It's perfect in every way, push the button, it's yours. And he's like, 
should the steps be compressed to make it as easy to drop 200 grand or $2 million on a house as easy as it is to drop a $5 bill on some other product or service? I would and like this to, is how he ends. Okay. He says, I don't buy the idea that people need or even want to buy houses with a single tap on their phone. Sequencing steps helps buyers minimize the chances of a poor investment decision with their hard earned dollars. I think this is my bias or maybe this is what I think. I, I don't feel we're being polite by using the word frictionless by saying, I think the transactional cost to sell and buy a home is absurd. Right? Like if, if we were yeah, to sell our home, that is true. There, a lot of it is focused so are on they reducing like coddling, cost. like, realtors and like hey is there a way to get rid of this percentage or, or maybe we should shift that money to like hey the inspection needs more money behind it and we could have a better inspection for a used home and more emphasis on that versus this kind of quote general contractor bringing in different trades to get it done and they're the ones making the most money on the transaction um i i, I don't know if that's so drew if you're listening maybe have a part two of Transaction. You know what? We should is actually. Same I will thing reach out to him and see if he wants to come on sometime That'd on a cool. guest episode. But one example would be like inspections, housing inspections. Is it really in the buyer's interest to waive those or to, um, let's say that there's a company that says we'll do an AI-powered inspection utilizing oh, large amounts of data, and we'll just estimate a likely cost of repairs, just so you have a sense of it. You can either push a button and get that for two bucks, or you can wait 72 hours to have, or a week to have an actual in-person inspection. Now, I'm not saying take away the optionality for the buyer, because that's a negotiation tactic if I'm not gonna require that. But all things being equal, just like, is it better to walk through physically the space that you're about to purchase, or do it virtually, which is, like, and this is goes like, we are really quick to give away the best option for just one that's better or good enough. And I think yeah. that's kind of what you're saying, Julie, there's, there's things where we should always be optimizing to just the best and maybe a good enough in some areas is okay. But I, like if, if my, one of my four kids goes to buy a house that's 25 years old and like, hey, dad, we're going to waive inspections. I'd be like, like no, you're not. <laughs> well, and sometimes it takes a human to explain that. You know what I mean? Like the mm -hmm. giving that option just on an automated system is different than having a person telling you what the differences in those two choices are. Right. I, I even had people tell me, like, I waived my, um, like, no matter what happens with the inspection, I can't get out of the contract, so I'm not going to do an inspection. I'm like, you're nuts. Why would you still not want to know? Yeah, you should still know. You may not be a reason to get out of the contract, but at least now you know for planning before you show up, you, know, you move in and try to take a bath and the tub falls through the second floor. I think you would want to still know. I, I, I mean. Yeah, or all the hurricane things are missed very commonly, even in new builds, like where I'm at. Um, then insurance, like that'd be, that sounds terrifying. Hurricane coming, you're like, I wish we would have got that inspection, make sure the straps and all that stuff is done correctly. Um, yeah. 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 That's, I, I do both all options right, though, next, to answer your question. I mean, it's a good, it's a good thought process and I, and I agree that we should be going after the best, which might have a little bit of friction, but if it's, if it's in everyone's best interest, um, and that kind of goes back to like the whole e-commerceification of our industry, I think is a little bit overplayed, not, not totally, but a little bit. 
Yeah. Uh, from Reuters.com, Evergrande, remember them? Files for U.S. bankruptcy protection as China economic fears mount. So this isn't just a story about Evergrande, which is, you remember the um, place that had like, what was it, 15 or nine towers imploded that were partially yeah. built? Billions. Um, ghost cities. We talked all about this a couple of years ago, I think now. Mm-hmm. Well, they're back. Uh, the the whole real estate market in China is a mess. Um, trusts aren't paying out the funds that they're supposed to be. There's people protesting again. So so that's interesting in and of itself that it's real estate that's having an issue there. But also just generally, a lot of the global economies now are headed towards a recession or severe decline in activity from where they have been. And China is typically this big economic engine. So even if you believe in the soft landing theory of what's going to happen to the U.S. market uh, broadly, there's always this statement of, you know, when China, um, when China sneezes, the U.S. catches a cold, vice versa. Like these two really big economies, there is this global impact. And so um, Europe's doing poorly, Japan's doing poorly, China's doing poorly. Uh, in a sense that even if things are great here, going into the into the end of this year, early next year, just kind of general economic activity in the world is not good. And that's quick aside. Sorry, I'm talking so much on this one, uh, everyone. But I was having this conversation of someone was saying, Kevin, how do you feel about the housing market over the next 12, 24 months? And here's here's my main thing is I can't think of in the stock market language, they call it a catalyst. Like is a stock going to go up or down? There needs to be some new piece of information that is a catalyst for change. I can't think of very many positive catalysts, except for the one we just mentioned of existing homes not being available, but they're already not really available in most markets. So it might get a little bit better if rates go higher and even less are available for us, maybe. But I, it's almost like all of the good catalysts have already happened or are in play. Like now homes are available. Uh, pricing in a lot of cases have adjusted or come down. And so then there's like the market catalysts that I, I can't really foresee. But if you can think of any, show it to youconvert.com or just reach out to us on social channels. would love to hear your thoughts. And then the second thing is from a marketing perspective, even if the market's not doing great as a marketer, if there's some new thing that we could all be working on, that always kind of ups the energy level of like, okay, well, we can't do this, this, and this, but we can go do this thing that's new and different. And there is a little bit of that. And certainly the focus that Julie's helping with, with her book on, on content is a big piece of it. But again, in terms of a brand new cat, like we've all known we needed to do content well for a long, long time. Julie's book is a great resource to help us do that better. People are budgeting more money to it, but it's not like a completely brand new catalyst thought of this is really going to ignite something. So I think that's why I'm just generally kind of like, enjoy what you got while you got it. Keep getting better. Keep your eye on the ball. Work hard. (laughs) All right. Last but not least from, oh, you got something? I was going to say all the phrases, all the phrases there. Keep yeah. going. Uh, from Zillow.com, first home ownership surges. Half of all home buyers are making their first purchase. Hmm. Half of all home buyers are purchasing their first home, the highest share that Zillow has ever recorded. 
Your housing trends report finds that first-time buyers now make up 50% of all home buyers, up from 45% last year and a meaningful jump from 37% in 2021. And that's really interesting to me. Yeah, I'm trying so, to find the age group they had. Is it millennials, which are 29 yeah. to 43 year olds? Mm-hmm. That's not what we think of young people, right? Right, but they haven't think. been buying homes yeah. uh, so these in aren't large numbers until young, recently. Young people. Yeah, I, I just think um, I find it ironic that when in, in an era of affordability being the main reason slash excuse that people say why homes aren't selling or people can't buy, that it's first-time buyers that make up 50%. Julie, what do you think? Well, it's it's also what you what you know. If you don't know, if you're coming into this market and it's the first time you've bought, I just now Googled, we bought our first little condo in 2001. And um, I just Googled, so I don't know how accurate this is, but said the rates average 7.24%. Like they were terrible. We didn't know any different. It's yeah. different yeah. this time around because they were down to three and they came up to this. Mm-hmm. And so it's news. Um, but also if they weren't already in a home with a 3% interest rate. So it is too, just speaking to your audience and realizing that not every single person you're talking to is currently in a house with a 3% mortgage rate. There's people right. paying cash. There's, you know, first time home buyers. These, there's all these other people who are also in the market that we also need to speak to. That takes us back to what we keep Great. talking about on all of our calls with our, with our builder partners and on leadership calls is Right now, the market is being driven by the four Ds, death, diamonds, divorce, and diapers. Like that's, regardless of where affordability is, to your point, like those are the reasons that you're saying, okay, we're going to buy a house or need need a change in our, yeah. in our situation. Agreed. Yeah. All right, favorites. Favorites. What I'll tell you what's not. What's well, not my favorite? Or, or, my wait, we favorite. started this new Ooh. last time. It doesn't have to be a favorite anymore. It could be just something that's really pissing you off. Oh, well, this is perfect then. This <laughs> boom stand is pissing me off. If you've seen me mute myself and because it keeps fall, it keeps falling down. So I have a new mm-hmm. one that Amazon said your shipment's arriving late or something. It's supposed to be here this morning. I'm like, oh, arrive here at 7 to 11 a.m. Perfect. It's one. This one is like it's blue, the blue brand. I think they make I forgot they make microphones and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like a hundred bucks, but it's tension based. So it's like the weather affects it. The humidity for whatever reason is super annoying. So I just bought one. That's like, you just lock it in because it really doesn't move. I'm excited to replace it. This thing is super annoying. Don't buy it. It's awful. What's one of those things. It's not a buy once cry once deal, which Julie, um, brought to us all when she bought her camera, but it is one of those things like my arm, uh, had the same challenge, but there's a tension adjustment piece on it mm-hmm. yeah. that for the for last sure. year I have not bothered to mess with. I just like the thing slowly would float up and it would annoy me and I'd push it back down and it would stay there for five minutes and then slowly float back up. Just having the right equipment is half the battle. It's worth it almost every time. And then the second is just taking the time again to take care of it. Like I talked about before, but yeah, that's yeah. it's it. so someone wants Julie, it. You got anything? Uh, mine are homework helpers this year for math. He has homework helpers where basically is the same worksheet that he's working on that shows you what you're supposed to do without the answers on it. Thank goodness, because I was having to Google everything. And it's not that it's mm -hmm. like hard stuff. It just doesn't make any, it just, I've never seen it laid out like that. And I have no idea how to help him. So thank goodness already. We're like two weeks into school. 
And I'm already having to like go to the homework helpers and figure out what in the heck they're talking about so I can I'm help with a, homework. So I'm going to learn rational numbers and irrational numbers. I, hold yeah. up. I'm like, I don't know. Like, Yes. I'm like, wait, I don't know what they're asking. So that's been my go-to this week. Let's see. What do, I'm just going to pick some app on my phone that I think I, that I use that I think most people may not have. Um, there's one called uh, Sunshine Birthdays. Have you, you all seen this before? No. It's um, Marissa Mayer of former Yahoo fame. It's uh, her company. Um, and what it does is it lets you log in, connect all of your different accounts and just create a single source of truth for people's birthdays. It also does the same thing for contacts. So it's kind of like an iCloud that's not Apple only, but it'll go to all of your social networks, your Gmail, whatever in your calendars already. And then it'll say, hey, there's three different birthdays or three different profiles for Andrew Peak. Do you want to consolidate them? Is this the right day? It's one of those small little things that, um, and then it reminds you, you can look at it easily a week in advance or a month in advance, see whose birthdays are coming up. Thanks. Their their play is, you know, they make it really easy to order someone something if you want to through the app. But it's just one of those nice little things that you're like, this is just helpful to not not miss birthdays anymore. Nice. Does it go through like does it prefer Amazon as far as like it tries to sync it to Amazon, like get you to buy through Amazon? I'm just thinking oh, the business model like from? they have this really cool experience and then they get like the affiliate money from pushing all these transactions from their app. So I'm like, oh, that's genius. Like, let's make it easy for people to shop for birthdays. We make money by being um, an affiliate with all these different e-commerce companies. Actually, I might have spoke too quickly. There was, I thought, an option to send presents. But what I'm getting now mm, is gotcha. just ordering um, cards or e-cards. Oh, well, there you go. It's probably just through their own experience. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Birthdays are hard to remember. It's a little something. And it's called sunshine. It'll brighten your day. <laughs> there you go. Sunshine. All right, that'll do it for season one of Market Proof Marketing. <laughs> Be sure to join us for the beginning of season two next week. We'll see you then. See you. Bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peek, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof. <laughs>